0: Welcome to our Lakuta Sikha's project share for Pasha Shaifteen. And this is, of course, Sikha Beis, Kitesh, So volume 19. And it's the second Sikha of Parsha Shaifteen. The Sikha we're going to learn today is very interestingly said, Shavas Parsha's Bahalaischa in Tavshin Chavzan was 1967. And in fact, I had a little look up and Shabbos by Leiskov, nineteen sixty-seven, was actually June seventeenth of nineteen sixty-seven, and those who know the history of Eretz Israel, the Six-Day War broke out in Eretz Israel on June fifth. By June seventh, <clears throat> Jordan had already agreed that when the UN called for a ceasefire, Jordan already agreed to a ceasefire. On the eighth of June, Egypt agreed to a ceasefire, but Syria held out. After Israel captured the Golan Heights on the 10th, Syria also agreed to the ceasefire and the Six-Day War was over officially on June 11th, which was the Sunday of Parsha's Baal The next Shabbos, so that was Six-Day War ended on Sunday. That Shabbos was Shabbos Baal and that's when this Sikha was said. So let's see what the Sikha is about. We know that in this week's Parsha, Remembering that the Six Day War started when the Arab countries around Eretz Israel were gathering everything together, were uh, collecting all their armies and getting uh, really looking that they were going to start an offensive against Eretz Israel. So the um, the uh, Israel, the Israeli government, decided that they were going to strike first. And of course, what they did on June fifth was that the Israeli air force struck the egyptian air force and they really disabled the air capacity of the arabs who were going to who were preparing for war so egypt led this really this war um and it was egypt and it was jordan and it was syria so pasha's balla um that year the rebbe spoke and the rebbe spoke about a pasuk that we find in actually our Pasha here in Pasha's shifty so let's begin see if and we're going to see how all of this, the six day war, the miracle, the victory of Eretz Yisrael in the six day war, and how the Rebbe connects it all to the Apostle in our parsha this week. From Pasuk in our parsha. So it wasn't the parsha at the time that the Rebbe said this, but it's a, a coming from our parsha. We're told that the nation is never allowed to return to Mitzrayim. Hashem said, we should never go back to this place again. So we learned the actual halacha. That a Jew is never allowed to return, to settle, to live in Mitzrayim. And more so, the way Chazal, our sages, tell us in the Gemara. There are three places in the Torah where we are warned that we are never to return to live permanently in the land of Egypt. The Rambam, inside Sefer Hayyad Chazaka. Now the Rambam at the end of his Mishnah Torah, the end of Sefer Mitzrayim. So the Rambam brings this halacha, that we're not allowed to live in Mitzrayim. And brings down the saying, that it is in three places that the Torah warned us that we're not allowed to return to Mitzrayim. And from the fact that the Rambam says this very broadly and doesn't say anything m- more particular than that as the issue is Ach, da, bisman, so the fact that the Rambam just says it as it is and we're not allowed to return to its rhyme, it doesn't put any c- conditions on that so it becomes very clear that this halacha also applies now to our times and therefore we find that among the um, different commentaries, that there is a tremendous back-and-forth discussion. We know that the Rambam, Maimonides, himself actually lived in Mitzrayim. And therefore, if the Rambam here is saying that we're not allowed to ever go back to Mitzrayim, how was it possible that the Rambam himself actually lived there? On as dark, given wasn't just the Rambam who actually lived in Egypt, but there were many Jewish communities that lived in Egypt. So how is that possible? Not from first date, so we have to understand. But when we have the prohibition of getting married to an Egyptian, we know that there's, we're forbidden to marry into um, anyone from the Egyptian lineage until the third generation. So the Rambam, Paskin gives us Baalachah grueling. Ke'sha'allah of Melech Asher. When Sancheirev, who was the king of Assyria, came and captured Eretz Yisrael, or came to fight Eretz and he did not destroy the base of Nadesh, but this was the gulls of the Aseret Shvatim, the Ten Shvatim. So when he came, he wasn't just Eretz Yisrael that he was fighting against, he was fighting amongst the known world at the time. And one of his tactics, to capture the countries and have loyalty to him was the fact that Bilbel Koha Umis, that when he captured many countries and he mixed up all the nations, the Irvain and he, he mixed them all up, and he exiled them from wherever their place was. So, any country that he captured, he took the people who lived in that place and moved them to another country. And he just mixed everybody up and moved them away so they weren't on their land. And because they weren't connected to their own land, they, he felt that they, that was a way to ensure that they would stay loyal to him and they wouldn't cause rebellion. And therefore the Rambam says the Egyptians who are currently in Eretz Yisrael, they are a different people. They're not those original mitzvim who were told we're not allowed to go back to Mitzrayim. And since they all got mixed up when Sancher went and captured them, and therefore, they're all now permitted. Because anyone who separated himself, so anyone a uh, non-Jewan Egyptian, so to speak, who lives in Egypt, if he separated himself and converted, and we assume that he has separated himself from the majority, and therefore, marriage would be allowed. And since now, in our time, the land of Egypt is a land of other people, not those original Egyptians. They don't come, they're not descendants of the original egyptians and, for and if that's the case if the people who are there now are not the original uh, egyptians why um do we still have that isser why are we still forbidden to return to Steve Waldman and you might want to say you might think you could answer as many commentaries do actually say that the reason we're not allowed to go back and live in Mitzrayim is not just it's not because of the people of the Egyptians, the people who are there Nor land alone. it's because of the land itself that we are not allowed to return there. Eretz Mitzrayim, afilu men Mitzrayim is not there. Uh, then Mitzrayim is nor the Eretz, even when it's just Mitzrayim, the land itself. Well, and in because even if it's just the land of Mitzrayim, right? We can't go back to Mitzrayim. So even if it's the land, even if there are no longer Egyptians living there, we are not allowed to return there. So what does that mean? The dust is this is also something that we can see very clearly from the Postle. The and in addition from the wording of the Rambam in the halacha, in the next Halacha there, where he says, The yearly, it appears to me, that the Rambam says, it appears that if a Jewish king would have conquered the land of Egypt, with permission from the basin, Din, Terrace, then it would be allowed. Those would be allowed to live there, and to return there. hishira ella la I'm sorry, And it's only we're being warned only about individuals for people to be there or to live there. When it is in the hands of non-Jewish people. And why is that the fact that, in other words, if a Jewish king ruled there, we'd be able to go, but as long as it's a place that is uh, under the rule of non-Jewish people, then we're not allowed to be there because their deeds are so depraved even more than any other land. So what do we see from this Rambam? we hear from here, as the is Eretz It says ha, it's, it's deeds, right? Something about the land, her deeds, that's Eretz, is feminine in lashon kodesh. So when he Ma'aseha, her deeds are depraved, we're talking about the land of Mitzrayim. It doesn't say, their deeds of the people them, are depraved. And this is what we know from our sages. So we know we have a saying, we see this in, in the Chumash when we talk about, for example, when it says the Jewish people were in Shittim, and, and the, the question is, and Rashi says there, why do we have to know where they where they were at the time? But because they ended up sitting there, this was after the story of the blessings of Bilaam. So it says that they went and traveled to Shittim. It says because the place itself, Shittim, was a place that was uh, prone, it was conducive to sin. So here we see if we've got this idea that even a place itself um, is a place that um, that raises that is conducive to these things that are that are not that are not correct okay so the land itself breeds this negative behavior and that is the case then under river is beyond akum if the land is therefore in the hands of non-Jews, a need even if it's not in the hands of actual Egyptians, is calling. The land itself breeds this depraved behavior. And therefore, we are not allowed to live there. Okay. is And based on this, we can also understand the Ruling that what? That's only when a Jewish king would, would capture Mitzrayim, Al P. Basin, in other words, with the approval of a court of Jewish law, then only then would be a would the Jew, a Jew would be allowed to live there. Because if a Jewish king would capture the land, Eretz Mitzrayim. Eretz Yisrael, the because then, if a Jewish king captured the land with the approval of Basin, then the land of Mitzrayim itself would become like Eretz Yisrael for everything. Thus, haste, that would mean what? Their Kibosh is piled Ashini in Kufstein. That means capturing the land, if a Jewish king would capture the land, it would change the very essence of the land. And then the the prohibition of living there would be nullified. So this idea of what we would capture, we would change the essence. And this concept of capturing the place and changing the essence, we know this already, again, from the very beginning of Chumash, in the very first Rashi, when it says, why does the Torah have to begin with Breshis? And Rashi says, the reason we start with Bracious, Rashi says, is because Hashem is trying to tell the Jewish people his power, that when in the future, Hashem is going to um, promise Eretz Yisrael to the Jewish people, he's going to give it to the nations first, and then he's going to take it from the nations and give it to the Jewish people. And when the nations will come to the Jews and say, you are robbers, you stole our land, the Jews will come back and say, Hashem created the world, he gave it to you temporarily and then he took it and gave it to us with our land. And the Rebbe in other cities talks about what is it why would they call us robbers there are many countries, and it's ironic right in Eretz Israel we're the only place where you go to war. As we said, this was said right after the Six Day War, you go to war, uh, you win the war, you capture land. Nobody calls a country that captures land robbers. Why is it that the nations always call us robbers when we take when we capture Eretz Yisrael? And why were the original canon like that as well, that when we came to Eretz Yisrael and after Yeshua, Rashi is telling us, we start with gracious so that we have the strength within us to turn around and tell the game, no, we're not robbers, this land was ours. But why do they call us robbers versus other lands? Because when once B'nai Yisro went back into Eretz Yisro with Yeshua and we captured the land from the Canaanim that first time and became our land, we changed the essence of Eretz Yisro. That's what they mean by robbers. It can never go back to other hands, because the essence is changed. So that's the same thing that the Rambam is saying here, that if a Jewish king with the permission of Basin would go and capture the land of Mitzrayim, then the land of Mitzrayim would become like Eretz Yisrael in every way, and it would not no longer be forbidden to return there. However, this explanation, this explanation is not so smooth. In other words, there's some difficulties here. Why? Because in Sefer HaMitzvahs, Shrapten Rambam, the Rambam himself writes in Sefer HaMitzvahs, where he lists all the mitzvahs, as their Tal HaEser is, shaloi nilma bimah sein l'furu. So here we're saying it's all about the land itself. that The land is conducive to the brave behavior. Therefore, even if there are no Egyptians living there, we can't go back there, unless we change the essence of the land. Yet, the Rambam in Sefer HaMitzvahs, when he explains the reason for why Jews are not allowed to go back to mitzvahim, he writes, so that we will not learn from their deeds, okay, does heist, there is to sleep niet oplendend zich von die mitzreim, the mention from the Eretz I mean, there is to sleep niet upland, from the sorry. So that means the prohibition is in order for us not to learn from the mitzreim, from the people of Eretz shrine. So here it is focusing on the people, not just the land. Like them, Tom, now based on this reasoning then, so we then have to explain. If it's about, we're not allowed to go back to Mitzrayim, not because of the land, the Rambam is saying, it's about the people, then why would we still be prohibited to go back there today? Since we know that the, the people, the Egyptians who live in the land of Egypt now are different people. They're not those same original Egyptians. Not only that, but eight. further, if we're saying it's about the land that the land itself is conducive to breeds this kind of negative behavior, then even if we wouldn't have people who we would learn negative behavior from. For example, in the time when the land of Eretz was actually desolate, when the foot of man would not, there was nobody tra- uh, traversing or go- passing through Eretz he sees Gvem betzvamonu vuchadnetzer, as it was in the time of vuchadnetzer. Av Oich there is the but the prohibition was, was still in full. So how we understand that we're saying it's about the people but even when after Nebuchadnezzar captured the lands around and it was a desolate place we still were not allowed to go there even when there weren't people so what is it is it the people Is it the land what's the story about not returning to Gimel. we continue so to understand this better let's go back to understanding what about what is this prohibition of marrying an egyptian okay so luvush writes what, what are we talking about the diash are shining we're talking about the earlier generations that we weren't allowed to marry an egyptian but now in our time after a came So he said before, after he came through and he already uh, moved people around. Nevertheless, and even though we know that certainly, even when we say he mixed people around, he would have left a minority of people still in their places right he didn't remove everybody he mixed people around so he took people mo- a lot of people away and brought other people in as we know with our search he took their Shvatim out of Eretz so Yehuda was still there and so macho Yehuda was still there they were still getting there but they were taken out and other people came in and that's why when they started to build the second base of Mikdash, they had a lot of trouble with the Shemrini the Shemrini were non-Jews who were brought into by Yisroi so even though he brought in Sanche brought in other people, certainly there would have been a minority of these original Egyptians still there. They The heavy like kavua, and then we would say that they, they come under a halakhic, uh category of kavua. Kavua is something that is um, settled, something that is certainly there. Okay, so kavua means something that's actually fixed. So because there would have been a minority of people who would still remain, those people take on this category of being fixed in their place. And there's a halachic concept, the kavua, that anything that is fixed in its place, it's considered an equal equal probability that it is or it isn't something. So in other words, <clears throat> when you have a halakhic as a concept that if you, let's say, we're in a place where there was a mixture of things that were from a particular place and something else got mixed into it. So if we're talking about things in a place and something else came in, I'll give, uh, give me a, a practical example. There's something called demai. Demai is when you have proto and erotistrold in the time of the base of and you weren't sure if meister was taken from it. So it's called demai because it means that we we don't know if mice was taken or not. If mice wasn't taken, you're not allowed to eat it. So let's say there was a place that that there were, you know, there was a whole lot of Domai there. And then someone came with another bundle of fruit that was certainly, that mice had been taken, but it's the basket fell and it got all mixed up with this other fruit. So if that happens, whatever was there, it's considered half and half, okay? Um, so if it's in all, so when you're in doubt, you consider it's 50, 50, 50, 50 chance. So even if let's say there was only two fruit that were sitting there that were divine and a whole bunch of other ones got mixed into it, but those two fruits is considered because they were established in the place where they were originally, then you have to consider that 50, 50, all the fruit there, that there's a 50, 50 probability that any fruit you're going to pick up is going to be this. Okay. So this is the, the concept and halacha of something that's kavua. If it's in its place, you have to consider that the chance that it is what, what you think it is, is a 50-50 probability. Um, so again, okay, so they have it like kavua. So, so even though what we're saying is that even though Sancheirev mixed people up, there would have been a minority that stayed in Egypt, in Mitzrayim. They have it like Kavua, and they would then be fixed in their places. The chol Kavua, the Lacha concept, anything that stays in its place, Kamakta al it's considered to be 50-50 probability that any person you're going to pick up, you're going to pull, uh, pull out of there, is going to be an Egyptian. Mikal makam, nevertheless. If what if an Egyptian converted, then it's like he separated himself from them. Mayhem. Now there's another halacha concept that if you have something, one item, and it separated itself from the majority, then you, you consider that the what the thing that was that was taken out, an item that was separated not in its place, but was separated, taken away, and it was separated from the majority, then you assume that it is permissible immediately, that it's not part of what was forbidden. So we have this differentiation that if something is in its place and other things get mixed in, so in our example, if the Egyptians, yes, many of them were taken out of Egypt, but there was a minority that stayed in Eretz Then that would mean that any people who are there, we have to assume that anybody in the Mitzrayim, there's a 50-50 chance that they are from those original Mitzrayim. However, if someone converted from them, that means he's kind of removed himself, he's not fixed there, he's, he's Mitzrayim, then you assume that there's halacha concept that if something is removed from the majority, not that it's in its place, but it's removed from the majority. You assume that it is, it's separated and it's permitted immediately. So, according to this, if we say that a minority of Egyptians actually stayed in Mitzrayim, even after the nations were all mixed up, is Vasi's Eats called the Israel's that we understand based on this halachic concept, why even now it would be forbidden to settle in Mitzrayim. To leave the because there might be Egyptians who will still stayed there. And the fact that they are there, they don't become nullified because they are a minority. Uh, Because as long as they haven't removed themselves from the Egyptians to convert, because then if they still are in Mitzrayim, they haven't converted, they haven't separated themselves from the Mitzrayim, then they are in their land, and it's considered something fixed in its place, and therefore a 50 50 probability that that person is really from the original midstream, and that's why we would not be able to go back there. However, we still have to understand. If this is the case, then why does the Rambam Paskin, very broadly speaking, doesn't set any conditions, and also in Shulchan Arch? That a ger is it's mutter miyat sleep Why is it that the Rambam and also the Shulchan Aruch said that if you have an Egyptian who converts a ger mitzri, he would be immediately permitted to marry a Jewish girl because of this concept, because he separated himself from the majority? Nibal so how can you say that I'm sorry that would mean as that in any case is had their fun called to perish because here would seem to say that in any case there is this permissibility of anyone who removes himself that he would be allowed you could marry that person could marry a Jew. But from what we just said, how is that possible? If we said if the minority stayed there, so then if this is the case, you would think that the Rambam and the Shulchan would have put a condition around it and said, like make a differentiation if the wedding or if this custom, this person who wants to get married if he was a convert if he was physically left went away from his home was is their cloud called parish? then we could say okay then we have the allah concept that anyone who removes himself we assume that he's removed himself and therefore he's it's mutar so why doesn't the rambam say if if he left then he's allowed but he doesn't why does it doesn't why does he differentiate or if he hadn't left his house, was because if he didn't leave and he stayed there in his home in Mitzrayim, the then you would say, well, he's there. We have to assume that it's half-half that, um, that maybe he is of those original Egyptians, that we would not be allowed to marry for three generations. As we find an example of this, actually, in Gemara Ksubais, Mirashin, as I didn't for called the parts of is dafka when the boil is parts of my bias. As we find in Ksubais, when it says very clearly that what is this idea that anyone who leaves, who leaves his place is then allowed? He says that specifically when the man is someone who leaves his home. So if he stays in his place, according to Rashi and and then it's considered half-half. You'd have to say, why would you allow it then if you can't marry a, mitz- a mitzri, three, a three generations? If he's still there, why Why do they not differentiate? And let us know that if he left, then good, but if he he's not, then he, why, why would he be allowed without any distinction being made? The pashas kemenzagin. So you could say, Ba'eis angir so you might say, okay, simple. He doesn't, the Rambam and the are not differentiating because they already said this is a person who converted. So a person who converts must have left his home. Because we understand that if someone converts, what does that mean? If you convert, that means you have left them. They've left others. He separated himself from other Egyptians. So that's what you can think. Why can't we just say that? Aber Das However, the rever says this is not enough. bin is But what we're saying here is not enough that he left his home. there are parts from Gant Er shrine But from what we've said before, he has to be someone who has to separate from his entire from the entire land of shrine It's not enough that he left his home. He has to actually leave the land completely of Now, to understand this, to preface this, we have to understand something else. See down. The Gemara is in so a different Gemara, that So what do we know? <clears throat> in general, we know that if a Jew marries a non-Jew, it's actually not considered a, a wedding. It's not considered as if they were married. However, the Gemara says in Yuvahna, that if a non-Jew uh, Got married. We are concerned that it might be a valid wedding because perhaps that non-Jew comes from the Ten Shvatim. So we know the Aseret Shvatim, that's on exiled. They were spread all over the place, and they were separated from the Jewish people, and they don't necessarily keep the Torah the way we know. So the Gemara said, if a god marries a Jew, we we have to think that perhaps this is a kosher wedding because maybe that. Person who we think is non-Jew is from the Asherah. So, Fred the Gemara. So the Gemara says, asks a question, and raises the question. But didn't we say that anyone who separates from a group is presumed to have been separated from the majority, and that means that if if you have a non-Jew who is coming up to say that he's from the Aser shvatim why would you say that? If someone is, separates himself, you have to assume he's separated from the majority and the majority of people in the world are not Jews and they're not from the Aser shvatim The majority of people are Gentiles. So if you have this one person, you have to assume that he's from the majority, which would mean that he's a non-Jew. Why would you think that this random non-Jew is comes from the Aser shvatim And for the Gemara, so the Gemara answers, the Dukhtah, what are we talking about? And the case what we're talking about here is the is, we're talking about a situation the, uh, of a particular, a very particular place. In other words, he comes in a place, the Kavi, in a place that's established where the Assers were exiled. The Amar Rab Abba Bar-Kahana, because Rav Abba kahana said, Quoting a verse that talks about where the Aseris Hashfatim end up. It says, and he led them, he put them in a place called Chlach and Chavar. So, these places, the Gemara is saying, when we talk about a, a, a non Jew who marries a Jew and that you're worried about that maybe the wedding would be considered a proper wedding. It's only if they come from these places, because in those places, that is where the Aseret Ashvatim ended up. And that's exactly what Rashi says, Tait Rashi. We're talking about the case of an established place where the Aseret Ashvatim were. B'nei Ashvatim, where the 10 tribes were exiled. V'chol k'vua, and any place, like we said before, anything that's fixed, kemach sa'omach dumi, we have to consider 50-50 probability that this person might be from the Aser if this is a Gentile who's come from those places. And where is this place that is the established place for the Aser Because we said, like we said before, we know that this is where they were taken. So it's only in these places, if they're from these places, then we have to assume 50-50 that it is from the However, in the same place, up the Thaisvais comes along and says something else. He says as what in your case, You're saying in your case that this is the majority of the people. Are from the Asaras Okay, but like Maiship and it's not like what Rashi said. That if you're saying in this case, when you're saying the majority of the people are from the Asaras Ashlatim, that it can't be like Rashi says that if it is an established place, it's 50 The called the because, according to Rashi, if he would go. To that place. He said the principle is that if you separate, you seem to, it would be presumed that you separate from the majority. And that would mean, as he's claimed earlier on, so if he separates from the majority, then that means from the majority, he, he would be from. If it's the place of shvatim, why are you saying it's 50-50? If that is a place where they are, then it should be considered he's separating himself that he's coming from the majority. And the majority of the people in those places, if that is the established place, would there be certainly from the SRS shvatim? Okay. So basically, they're both saying that this is a, a situation that we are concerned, that right? That this is a place that we're concerned about this type of wedding because they came from this place. Rashi's saying because they came from this place, it's... A permanent place where they were, therefore, we have to consider 50 50. And Taiswa says, No, if it's definitely from that place, then the person separates from that place. You have to assume these from the majority, and that would mean that that's why you have to do it. So, which halachic principle do we apply here? And so, the question here is again, move on for us, Rashi, We understand why Rashi does not want to learn, according to Teisweiss. So even though Rashi himself said that if this person, he separates himself, he leaves his home, Hatha Din Parish, he's saying, okay, if this person leaves his home, then he has the principle that if you, anything that separates is considered to be separated is allowed. But like Teisweiss, is Kasha Delashon Hagamar Bedukhtah tikavi. Well, according to Taisvas? What's Prashi, What was bothered with? Because it says the established, right? de kavii, places established dwelling places. As so a gadav de you should have said um, dwelling places of the majority. Why does it say dwelling places that are established dwelling places rather than saying dwelling places of the majority? Because it says, a dwelling place that's established is So when Rashi wants to say that this is really talking about the fact that it's coming, it's the principle that when you have something that's established in its place, you have to consider 50-50 chance. Rashi is getting that. He's not agreeing with Titus because the Gemara uses that terminology, established dwelling place. So it's stressing the place, that the, the person is from that place. Whereas the way Taisvitz is saying it, saying that it comes from a place where the majority of people are there, then the Gemara should have said that it's a place of the majority and it doesn't. And that's why Rashi doesn't focus on that. He's focusing on the fact that it's from this place and therefore it's 50-50. Yespar in them. What, what are we trying to say here? What is this wording teaching us? That because it says that they were led, they were placed in this place, in this particular place. So because this is the place that originally took them, that became the established permanent dwelling place of the 10 tribes. Therefore, the fact that they are established, that's their permanent home, it's not limited to their homes, their actual houses, nor does this is called guns fault, it's the entire place. That whole land, right? That whole area is considered their permanent place, not just their actual home. So, therefore, even if they leave their homes, like they get married and move into another house, it doesn't matter if they leave their homes, as long as they're still living in their land, they're considered to be still part of those people. Okay? They can still consider to be. Um, part of of the people who are there, who would permanently be there, and like Rashi says, their meat is move on, that's why we can now understand, but Rashi is and where were they permanently? That they were led, they were placed in these two places. Why does Rashi have to stress this? The Gemara itself actually says these words that this is the place where they were and where they were taken because they were taken to this place. So why does Rashi have to repeat it if the Gemara already says it? So Rashi is trying to focus and stress to us that what we're talking about here, that even people who are going to leave their homes, and especially because that's a normal thing to do when someone gets married, right? What's the custom? That you build homes for the children so they have their own home. And even in that case, that they have a different home, still, <laughs> so Rashi is stressing that even once they, if they get married and they move into another home, it's not like they left their, home, their place because the place itself, where, what is the established place? It's this land itself. It's not just, their home. So as long as they're still in that land, then they're considered to be established, it, fixed in their place. If they're fixed in their place, we consider it to be a 50-50 chance that they are actually of these And that's why we'd be concerned about someone getting married, uh, from, uh, uh, that uh, someone who marries a non-Jew from that place, we, we would be concerned that perhaps it is a valid marriage because that person may have been a Jew like them when so now based on this let's take this um, example and this discussion and apply it now to Mitzrayim. is a so he said if we're going to say why are we forbidden to go back to Mitzrayim? the issue is because of the Egyptian the people that as is in then we'd say, why can we not go down to Mitzrayim because of the people? Therefore, we have to say that their established place is the permanence there. This uh, is about, or again, of this is or of even marrying a Mitzrayim, which we know is not allowed as well, comes out that the permanence of this person is in throughout the entire land of Mitzrayim. As long as this Egyptian has not left the borders of Egypt. I feel there is be based, so even if he leaves his home. He still has this halacha of permanent, of 50 50 chance. And therefore, a person who comes from this place, if he still lives in mid time, we would say the prohibition of marrying a mischief would still apply. And then we see because is not taking Rashi's view. He's, he's saying it's not about the land, it's about being the people. He's saying, no, no, no. Here we're talking specifically about this example, the 10 Shvatim. And, the, and why we're talking about the Asherah it's different to talking about Mitzrayim because the Asherah Shvatim, we're talking about people who are coming there and it has nothing to do with, um, with where they come from. So when we talk about not marrying an Egyptian, it's because of his Egyptian nationality. He originates from this land that we're not allowed to go back to, okay? But here, Treyfus says, we're talking about the 10 tribes and where they are has no doesn't make any difference to the union of marriage. And therefore, he doesn't stress the place where they're coming from, because if a person leaves where they are, then you have to assume he's from the majority. in When we're talking about, in our situation, that the prohibition of marrying an Egyptian because he comes from the land of Mitzrayim, so here, too, you can compare this to the Taisvahs there, because are the Taisvahs is talking about the Eser and saying that if he leaves the place, you assume his majority and not necessarily from the Eser But that wouldn't apply with the land of Mitzrayim, because here we're talking about the situation that where he comes from is very important. And therefore, even according to the Taisvahs, we're talking about an Egyptian coming to the land of Egypt, he would also feel that as long as that person was still living in the borders of Mitzrayim, he would have the halacha of permanence and therefore be forbidden to marry. Now, according to all this, now we come back to, again, our original question, stance. Now, after all this, you come back to the original question. If this is the case that there were Egyptians who actually ended up, a minority, who ended up staying in the land of Egypt. the And the only reason we allow to marry nowadays, like they said, that nowadays people uh, Egyptians could marry into the Jewish nation. And it's only because anyone who removes himself is as if he's from the majority, he's not from there. But Dr. Rambam un, so then the Ramam should have actually differentiated very clearly. And we said this was our original question. Why doesn't the Ramam say that an Egyptian, if he's still in Mitzrayim, why does it make, not make a difference if he's still there or if he left? So why doesn't he say that if a, a convert who leaves the land of Mitzrayim, then if he leaves, we consider him like majority if he left, so then he's like, He'd be allowed, or I get in Aries Mitzrayim and the difference between a convert who still lives in the land. But who then, if he stays in the land, why does is, is that not considered permanent? And then he would be forbidden to marry until the third generation. So this is our question. We come back to the this point that if the land of Mitzrayim is about the land itself, then why are they, why do they say that someone who converts would be allowed to the Jewish people right away? The reverend now says we'll understand this question. We look at another question that's even more astounding. What is that? The Gemara is up in Nazir. The Gemara says in tractate Nazir, a woman does not move. What does that mean? The for in We say the every honorable princess dwells within, that women generally don't move around. Therefore, a woman, wherever she is, she's considered to be kavua, that she stays in her place. And the Gemara continues. If you will say, uh, that here she um, she did move. What were we talking about? For for example, Imu Ashka. Let's say she they, they they found that she moved and she was let's say in the marketplace and that's where she found she um this agent this person found her and the kaddish and he betrothed her there in the marketplace hasam harul Khusa. So then what we say is that eventually she's going to go back to her fixed place. She's going to return to where she came from. So that even if we say what does it mean that she's she's a kavua that if you can say that no matter what, um, if, if it's a person who, um, even if she was found not in her home, we assume she's going to go back to her home. Thus "As heis, that means even when she leaves her home, we say he found, finds her in the marketplace, Because we know that a girl will eventually go back to her home. And therefore, even if she was found in a place away from her home, we have to assume that she's going to return to her home. So therefore, she has that that halacha of permanence that she's going to permanently return to her fixed place, even if she was found in the marketplace. So even when she's in the marketplace, we assume she's going to go back home. So therefore, how can we suggest that anything that separates is going to, is considered the majority that really separated. I feel a bit that Mitzvah is part of of Mita Yisraelis, because they said that even when an Egyptian separates himself to get married to a Jewish girl, he still would have the halacha of kavua. if he would go back, if he goes back to Mitzrayim, then he's considered to be Kavias, right? that he's going back to his place. If he goes back to this place, why would he be allowed to marry a Jewish person? So the answer here is Vav, the Bazet is muham fundiyuk lashna Rambam. So we understand this from what the Rambam is saying. We look very carefully, what did the Rambam say? shakal haparis mehen, when he says we're allowed to marry an Egyptian nowadays, he's saying because he's gayer, that someone who separates himself from the Egyptians to convert, so it's very clear. Converting Then we have to assume that he separated himself from the majority. Why is Rambam Why does Rambam add the words that he separates himself to convert? I feel So why does he have to stress that when he leaves to convert? You would think that if he separates for any other, for whatever reason he separates, that it should be the same principle that he would be allowed. Why does the Rambam specifically say if he separates to convert? Now, the meat is the but here we see the Rambam is actually stressing. As a tied from part, the idea of separating, it doesn't mean to separate yourself just from the place. It's only when he, because he has converted, is he considered to be one who has separated himself. The of fine, which is really telling us that when you talk about someone who separates himself, there are two ways that could happen. Olive in Makam Gashmi, you could say a person separates himself from a neighborhood, right? He moves away. He moves away from his community. That means he physically he changes places. And his parts So he goes from one place and he moves to another place. And he doesn't return back to his original place. He moves. The second situation we say separating himself is in matzah. That means in his situation. In In his place, in other words, his halachic status according to halacha. In his in other words, he separates himself from one status and moves to another status. as Vidal we're saying here. He's separating himself from his original situation and his original halakhic status Mitzri, as a Eino Yehudi, as a Mitri, as a non-Jew. So he's separating, he's changing his status. Not that he's physically moving, but he's changing his status. In an he's putting himself into a completely new situation because he's converted. And therefore, once a person converts, Once he converts, you can't say that he's going to go back to his previous place. It's not just about moving. He's changed his status. It can't go back. The similar way that we say when we captured Eretz Yisroel, Yisro, its status completely changed; it can't go back. So, so too, that's why, we, that's why the Rambam stresses a mitzvah in his If he converted and he changed his complete status, in Since the separation comes from the fact that he has converted, is by There's no way that he's going to go back. The far passing the Rambam, and that's why the Raman and the Shulchan Arif give the halachic ruling that a convert, an Egyptian convert, is allowed to marry a Jewish girl in all cases. Even if he still lives in shrine. Even, Even if he hasn't left his home. Because the very fact that he converted means that he has separated himself. has changed his status. Masha'ain came the nothing. But any other Egyptian, if he has not converted, they're still non-Jews, Mazan time and they any other people who, if they did not convert, but they still live in Egypt, even if we say they're just a minority of the original Egyptians. from Kavua. So anybody else, if they did not convert and they come from that land, even if they are a minority, we say most people were mixed up, but it's their permanent place, that's their fixed dwelling. Therefore, the there, therefore, because there is a, those minority, those people who are still there, even if they're a minority, therefore, we still have that prohibition even today, that we're not allowed to settle in Mitzrayim, that we don't learn from their deeds. Especially when we say that we're not allowed to go there because we're not allowed to, not allowed to learn from the deeds of these Egyptians who live there. Then in this case, we cannot say that this is something where you could say, you know, why, why can't you assume that if they're a minority, then a minority generally becomes nullified in a majority. If you have a, a few people, you would say it, it's they, they nullify, they're not recognizable amongst everybody else if they're just a minority. Samitza the Amid and Samitza the Rife, both because they're a minority and both because of the majority, who's more than them. Why can we not say that about Egyptians living in Mitzrayim? Vile number one, see Amid in kamus We're talking about, OK, a minority in quantity, right? There are less people maybe than the other people who live there, less of the original Egyptians than anybody else. that so mentioned, the number. But here, what are we talking about? Why do we go to Adam's It's not because of the quantity of people, it's because of the quality. It's something about them. Because they have depraved actions. It's because of the, the um, prevalence and the, the greatness of this, the quality of what it is that we're trying to stay away from. Is is considered to be something very important, but very neat bottle. Something that's important does not become bottle. And this idea that something that's important doesn't become bottle is halachic even in terms of kashras. So if you have a, a, a small amount of something that's not kosher, but it adds the flavor, it's very important for the product, then even if it's uh, only one sixtieth, it's still. We make the whole thing trait because if it is important for whatever it is that you're putting it into, it doesn't not become nullified. So base da is derived. What's the second reason why we can't say that there's null that they're a minority and therefore nullified? Thus is derived dementia from andre Because another problem that we have here with we're talking about Mitzrayim and not going there because of their actions is that we're dealing here with the fact that these are the majority, the people, the other nations, when we say that they, the original Egyptians are a minority in that land, we're talking about a minority among other non-Jews. And the other non-Jews who are there will find themselves in trying. They're not mennagetsu they, they It's not that they oppose these Egyptians and that they nullify this minority. because the nations of the world also act immorally his need for are not it's just that behavior of the Mitzray, of the Egyptians were even more depraved than the other nations of the world. But the other nations of the world also have immoral behaviors. So because these original Egyptians are still living among immoral people we can't say that, that, that their behavior they're going to be nullified because they are, are a minority. the 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 and that's why the minority, I mean, the majority of the people don't have majority of the, you could say non-Egyptians of the other non-Jewish nations who live in Mitzrayim would not have the power to nullify this minority of original Egyptians who will be there. So based on everything we said now, as in that in Eretz Mitzrayim today, there are still the original Egyptians of old. Then that means that we have to have uh, an additional uh, inspiration in our avodas Hashem. I remember. Okay, here's our final if. Reverend remember I said at the very beginning. For those of you who were not here, I'll repeat it. This sicha was said. <clears throat> 1967, which was June 17th of 1967. The Six-Day War was between June 5th and June 10th. The ceasefire officially took hold officially on June 11th, which was the Sunday of that year. So this was the Shabbos after the end of the Six-Day War. Remember that the Six-Day War began when Israel the Israeli, uh, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, attacked, preempted an attack of the Arabs and destroyed the Egyptian air force on the ground before they even had a chance to fly. So the Rebbe is saying now that based on what we just said here about the fact that the land of Mitzrayim is a depraved land and that there are a minority of people in the land of Mitzrayim who are still from the original people and therefore, as long as they have not converted, we assume that they would not be allowed, we would not be allowed to go there, not allowed to live there. But whatever it says, based on therefore, what has happened this time, right? In other words, what had happened just that week with the tremendous victory of Ertisrael in the Six-Day War over Egypt and Jordan and Syria. And that was, of course, when Ertisrael, when we finally, we got the Sinai and we won um, that whole, the whole West Bank Became then again part of Israel. We got Yerushalayim again. We were finally able to go to the Kaisal again. We had got the Golan Heights from Syria. So the Rebbe says that all of those events that happen need to inspire us in what way? We say generally everything that's in Tara has this aspect of being eternal. That it pertains to all times and all places. It's still, when we say that tar is eternal, there's still a difference between the things that we actually cannot actually fulfill. And therefore, we say that the eternal aspect is only spiritually. For example, we say that tar is eternal, but we can't bring carbonus today. So what do we do? We do it in a spiritual way. In other words, we daven, we say the, the carbonus, and fila our davening, takes the place of the Karbanas. So there's an example that we say Torah is eternal. So when we can't actually physically do whatever the Torah says, like we can't bring Karbanas, the eternal aspect is done spiritually. And there's a difference between those sort of things. And we can differentiate those things that we can't do, we do spiritually, to the things that we physically can still do. Right? Though we physically still keep Shabbos, for example. So we feel that eternal aspect of Torah very clearly. It's not that we do a spiritual keeping of Shabbos different to the physical. We do what we do. The room does Vais in an as in the is the normita toiket. So when we can still do the mitzvah exactly the way it says in the Torah, not just on a spiritual level, that shows that is shows even stronger how the Torah is eternal because it actually comes down, it, affects, it, it, it manifests itself in this physical world, and it's visible to all the nations of the world. And that's where we see the true eternal aspect of Torah. So the Rebbe says, so to our case, what? That we see a pasuk in the Torah that's very clear, that was very clear to us that week, right after the Six-Day War. The Torah says very clearly when the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, and the Rebbe said, look, look at this passage, and you can see how it applies today. You saw all of that, all that I did to Mitzrayim. And so now, if you are going to listen to my voice, and you are going to keep my covenant, then you will be my beloved treasure amongst all the nations. You will be a kingdom of priests. The God, Kaddash, and a holy nation. From from this what becomes clear? As the Atom the Mitzrayim. that you have seen what I did to Mitzrayim. The Torah at that time was speaking, of course, about Gula's Mitzrayim. The, 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 the Ten Plagues and the crossing of the sea. And how B'nai Israel were saved. But the rabbit says this is the eternal aspect of Torah. This applies right there that week. You have now seen the tremendous miracles Hashem did for you and what Hashem did to the Egyptians. And therefore, it's a hachana to the in the of And those psukim are then a preparation for the pesukim that follow right after that. What are the pesukim that come right after that? I will bring you to me. Now in Shemay Tishmoun, and if you are going to listen to me, Now what that in then the any baster with the oivsh device by the nisim by uprakn and zikv ha einish when the Jewish people see with their physical eyes how Hashem show them these tremendous miracles, and. um and how they made, uh, uh, made the nations accountable and punished them, right? So the nations that were oppressing the Jewish people, Hashem held them accountable and punished them. So when, when we see that with our physical eyes, we see it actually happening. So this itself should strengthen our resolve and strengthen our willingness to, to follow Hashem's voice. We saw with our eyes these tremendous miracles that happened. And it come, it's clearly, we could see how the words of the Torah are eternal and exactly what the Torah there said is applicable today. You've seen the tremendous miracles Hashem did for you and what Hashem did to Egypt. Therefore, recognize that Hashem is the all-powerful one. And therefore, if you will go now and listen to Hashem, you will become his special nation and he will continue to save you from all times. Therefore, we also understand. When the Jewish people recognize how, how Hashem has dealt with the people, with the land of Egypt. And we, like we mentioned this entire sifa and that even in the land of Egypt, there are still some of those descendants of those original Egyptians of old. Then once again, we see physically with our fleshy eyes, we see Atem you have seen what I have done to Egypt as it was originally when we first came out of the time, with my Eden. therefore the rebel was saying at this point in time after 1967 the six day war in that week this needs to bring out in the jewish people what does it need to bring out when we see all this this is um, but, the, but then Sisun trying what will this bring out of the Jewish people when they see what Hashem has done to them in Egypt? A toy his a an additional strengthening, right? An arousal of what That this should inspire and arouse the Jewish people to listen to Hashem's voice and to guard his covenant. As Eden Zones are starken in Kimatara mitzvahs, Jews have strengthened themselves in keeping Torah Mitzvahs. And we should act and behave as Hashem's treasured nation, and to them be his um, priestly nation, his holy nation, and his kingdom of priests. And when we do that, when we act as befitting. A beloved treasure of Hashem, Am skula and what is befitting a kingdom of Kohanim and a holy nation, then that will be the preparation to the immediate preparation for the final Bikkurim Tishmo, right for Mashiach's arrival, where it says that when Mashiach comes, Bikkurim Tishmo, you will listen to His voice, the voice of Mashiach. Let's bring them Hayyan; will bring that will which will be this day. Them Hayyan from being Mashiach that will bring us to that day of the coming of Mashiach, as Mashiach himself promised that it should be very, very soon. So ultimately, the message of this sicha, if we say that everything entire is eternal, as the Rebbe said here, and therefore everything that we learn from the Rebbe is also eternal, but we have to recognize when we look around the world and we see the things that are happening in the world, we have to see everything is the hand of Hashem. And if Hashem can do such a thing in the world, this should arouse us, inspire us to want to connect to him because we are really standing on that threshold. At, at, Mashiach is on, is ready. He's here. He's ready to reveal himself. We just have to strengthen our resolve to do what the Rebbe wants us to do, to recognize that everything comes from him and maybe Maritaka to see um, that Mashiach revealed now. Amen, can you hear a song. Oh.